Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Hallelujah. Glad to be in church. I'm glad you're here too. Grateful to God to have you and all of you who are visiting with us. Pray that your experience today will be one that encourages you and builds you up and that you leave here feeling better and being better than you were when you came in. As we all have room for improvement because we're all being perfected. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. He who began that work will surely be faithful to complete that work in us. And in that, we are confident. Amen. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 128. I'm going to talk to you about living, living with accuracy. There was a man that was, grabbed a uh, ride from a taxi. And uh, as they approached a red light, the taxi driver hit the gas and sped right through the red light. The man said, sir, 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 what, did, you, did you notice that was a red light? He says, it's okay. My brother does this all the time. Got the, okay, that's a weird response. So they come up to the, on the next intersection. Sure enough, they're coming up on a red light. The taxi driver hits the gas, and they speed right through that red light. And the man said, sir, that's two red lights in a row. You know, that's red. You can't go through a red light. And he said, that's okay. My brother does it all the time. They come up on a light again, except this time it's green. Taxi driver slams on his brakes. The car comes to a screeching halt. The man in the back seat is completely frustrated at this point. What kind of maniac is this? He said, man, this is a green light. You can actually go through a green light. He says, well, my brother might be coming. (laughs) I want to thank Pastor Everett Foster for giving me that joke. Living your life with accuracy. You know, there, the, the, Bible, the Bible will guide you to live an accurate life if you understand what the Bible's saying. Yeah. Jesus said, Amen. you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth doesn't just set people free. Truth itself. Otherwise, everybody in the world would be saved by now. Right? Because we're getting this gospel out all over the place. It's the truth that you know that sets you free. And today we're going to look at a a passage of scripture concerning the fear of God. And I want to talk to you about the blessing of fearing. Now we understand today that there is no fear in love. That's what the scripture teaches us, right? Perfect love casts out all fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But there are these several verses of scripture, especially throughout the Old, Tes- the Old Testament, talk about the fear of the Lord or the fear of God. And there's lots of weird ideas about what the fear of God is. And today, I want to help give you some good understanding of what the fear of God is so that you do not slip over into the fear that comes from the enemy. All right? There is a healthy fear, and there is a destructive fear. I've lived in destructive fear, and I'm not going to live another day in that destructive fear. All right? been fearful in the wrong way because the fear is, is that tool of the enemy to get you out of faith. All right? To get you, to rob you of your belief in God, to rob you of the good things of God, to rob you of your peace, to rob you of your joy. And uh, you can see fear as... Uh, if we look at it at an acronym, fear, false evidences appearing real. You know, most of the time, the things we're fearful of are the things that never even happen. The things that we worry about are the things that never really even come to pass. All right? But, but fear is a strong feeling. But there are times that throughout the scriptures when you read that the disciples were in fear-producing situations, you know. A couple of different times they were out on a, a stormy lake. And Jesus would tell them, don't be afraid, take courage. Take courage. So right along with, in that, right in the middle of a fear-producing situation, we all do come into those things from time to time. There is courage to be had in that moment. Amen. So uh, I want to encourage you today to take courage. And we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord based out of Psalm chapter 128. Have you found it? We're going to go to verse 1. Psalm chapter 128 Verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Father, thank you. 
for these next few minutes, Lord, here with your people. Thank you that you have, that you grace my lips to do this at this very moment. Lord, I, I can't do any of this without you. But I thank you that you have called me to do this, Lord. I thank you, God, that you put a word in my mouth and that this word, Lord, I believe will help people today. I believe that this word will bring instruction. Lord, I believe this word will bring correction. This, this word will bring revelation and understanding because it, it is your word. And your word is life to those who find it. It is health to all of their flesh. And in that, we are grateful and we thank you, Lord. Let your word do its work in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Let me, what that verse just taught you is the fear of the Lord is walking in the Lord's ways. All right. Now, what does that mean for you? What does that mean to walk in the Lord's ways? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. See, everything that we know, everything that we see in the Old Testament, like right here in the Psalms, we have to see through the light of or through the lens of our new covenant reality. Otherwise, we'll be very confused about these things, all right? So our new covenant reality is known in the gospel which the apostle Paul brought to us. And when you have a clear understanding of what the gospel is and, and what your place is in the kingdom of God, then the Bible really begins to open up to you and, and, and you begin to have great understanding of it. Because if you see all of the scripture as just this one surface, all of it applies to us, you're going to be jacked up, right? You're, Matter of fact, you're going to be missing body parts. If you're going to take all of it, literally, it's all to you. Let's all raise our right hand for just a moment. Does everybody have a right hand here in the room? All right. Has that right hand ever offended you or done something it shouldn't do? Okay. Now, if you're going to take the Bible literally, and Jesus said, cut that thing off. So we thank God that even though all the Bible is for us, it is not all to us. Amen. All right. How about that right? Everybody got their right eye? Look out that right eye. Okay. Is that, is that right eye ever done something, looked at something it shouldn't look at? Or looked at somebody in a way it should not have looked at them? Hmm? Yeah. You're supposed to pluck it out. But all of you have a right eye today, don't you? So you're grateful today that you don't, <clears throat> though we do appreciate the scriptures and we know it's all inspired by God, but it's important that you know what is to you and what is for you. All right, much of it is for our learning, and this, the Old Testament, is most of it is for our learning, uh, but what God brought through the Apostle Paul, this gospel, helps us understand where we are in this whole grand scheme of truth and truth of the Word. Blessed is everyone who fears what, who walks in his way. So what that means for you and I today, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. The Scripture says in Colossians 2, 6, as you have, therefore, received Christ Jesus the Lord. Or how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Did you go to church enough for it? Hmm? Did you read your Bible and pray every day? No. What did you do? You believed. You believed the gospel. That's how you, that's how you received Christ Jesus the Lord. And, and he says in Colossians 2, 6, As you have received him, so walk in him. So you received him by faith, and now you walk by faith. See, faith is, faith is total awe and reverence of the living God. It is the healthy kind of fear of God. That is that you are afraid to cling to anything else. You're afraid to trust anything else but only Him. All right? You're fully trusting and believing what God has said to be true over any other report in the world. Over any other word that comes your way, you are believing God, walking in his ways. That is living your life according to his terms. Amen. 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 And, and, and the main term that God has is that you believe him. Is that you believe him. He wants to be believed. So he's talking to us as individuals, even though he says everyone who fears the Lord, but there's a blessing for you who will walk in his ways. All of us are responsible for our own life and how we respond to the Lord. And the blessing, this favor that comes to you, also is designed to go through you. You know that now that you are a child of God, there's this blessing, the scripture says, that has come upon you. All right? And this blessing is called the blessing of Abraham. All right? That blessing goes like this. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. In other words, I'm going to bless you, and then I'm going to watch you act like me and bless others. 
Okay? Now, I want to help you understand something. That God wants to bless you, but that's not the, whole, that's not the wholeness of the blessing. God doesn't just want you to be a blessing. That's not the wholeness of the, of the blessing. He wants to bless you and you bless others. That's the blessing, okay? I'm not blessed to be a blessing. I'm blessed and I will be a blessing. If you just say I'm blessed to be a blessing, then all you're saying is I'm simply just a conduit of blessing. No, it's not just about getting through you. It's to you and through you. Are you catching me? He wants you blessed just like he wants everybody else blessed. That's good news, Pastor Eric. Thank you. I know. I know it is. The scripture says that Jesus Christ became a curse for the very purpose of you being blessed with the blessing of Abraham. Christ became, he redeemed us from the curse of the law that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, those pagan Gentiles. Those pagan Gentiles who dress up in costumes and get candy on Halloween. The blessing come upon you. Those pagan Gentiles who, who decorate Christmas trees. Hey, if you're going to preach against Halloween, you've got to preach against decorating Christmas trees too. They're both pagan practices. I right, can't just pick one over the other. All right, if you're, going to, if you're going to look down, if you're going to be a legalist, you need to be all the way legalist. Amen. Don't get to pick and choose what rules you like and don't like. That's good preaching. I know, I know. It is good preaching. It's real good preaching, Pastor Eric. I'm not talking to anybody here. I'm talking about people that listen to podcasts. Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, please keep listening. I was just playing. We're blessed to have you listening to us today. I mean, people that go to other churches. That's what I meant to say. Not people that... Okay. I screwed all that up. All right. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Walk in His way. Walk by faith. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 begins this way. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Watch. With what? Fear and trembling. Work it out with fear and trembling. Now, I want you to understand, it doesn't say work for salvation, because you can't do that. It says work salvation out. All right? That salvation that came to you by his work, now you work that out. Well, how do you work that out? By what's coming out of your mouth and what you're thinking in this head and the actions that you're displaying. Thoughts, words, and actions. Thoughts, words, and actions will determine how you're working your salvation, whether you're working your salvation out or not. Okay? And it says to do it with fear and trembling. Why do we do it with fear and trembling? Because we're afraid, we're afraid. Oh, watch. The next verse says, for it's God who's working in you. Hallelujah. Yeah. Whoa. See, that ought to make all of us tremble just a little bit. That God himself, this holy, magnificent creator of all things God, chose by his mercy and grace to come and live on the inside of you. Yeah. Amen. Whew. That's an awesome thought. There's another scripture that says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. In other words, that God lives in this body of ours. He chose. See, this is how convinced of your salvation he is. You need to be as convinced about it as God is. This is, this is how convinced of your salvation that he is that he chose to live inside of you. He made you so holy. His blood has so thoroughly cleansed you that he just said, I can move into that. Amen. And this says we do this with fear and trembling because it's God at work in us. This isn't our own human effort. This isn't us trying to perform for God. This is God at work in us. What a marvelous thing for us to fear and to tremble about and to stand in awe because he's doing it. Why? For his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. I love that. If we're not continually conscious of it, God in us, or Paul said it like this, it was a mystery that was hidden before, but now revealed to him. That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Say this with me. Say, Christ is in me right now. Christ is in me right now. Wow. 
See, when you wrap your mind around that and you say that, you make yourself aware of that, you live your day a whole different way. You really do. You acknowledge him in all your ways. When you make yourself aware, it's God in me. It's God who's doing this work in me. My life is not my own. I'm bought with a price. I owe my life to him. I owe it to him. We all owe it to him. Not because you're supposed to or not because you need to. No, because it's the right thing. We're, Landry and I were talking about this earlier. It's the right thing to do because he loved us and he saved us with such a great salvation. How could we not in turn do something for him, live for him? How could we not show our gratitude to him? Because he is powerful and he is glorious. He is our father in heaven and he is the judge of, judge of the earth. There's these amazing things about God. You know, like all of us appreciate electricity, right? Well, appreciate that. Right now we're enjoying the benefits of electricity with light and air and, uh, hey, you couldn't charge your phone this morning if it hadn't been for electricity. What would you do with a dead battery on your phone? How could you make it through your day without having your phone? When I was little, we, we survived every day without cell phones. It was incredible. We, we I mean, we, we don't, we don't know how we did it, but we did. But what would you do if you didn't have that? We, we enjoy that. But electricity is something that we also respect. We don't dabble with it for sure. I got just a little taste of it one time a few years ago. I was doing laundry over at my parents' house, and the hose on the back of the washer busted. And it was spewing water. And I was sitting living and watching TV. I thought, well, something doesn't sound right. So I walk in there. Sure enough, water spraying everywhere. So I just reached back there to turn the hydrant off. And not knowing that the water was leaking down that hose and dripping right into the socket where the dryer's plugged in. So I just grabbed the hold of that thing. And the next thing I knew, I was this close to seeing Jesus as this is what it's felt like. I'll kind of, I don't know. This is how I imagine I looked. <laughs> like that. Thank, fortunately, I was able to let go, but that, that electricity surged through me, and it shot out the, this finger, just split it open. And after I was able to let go, and I stood there for a little bit, I'm like, okay, am I alive? What's going on? This, and it hurt. Man, it hurt so bad. And I thought, I never want to experience that again, Ever. I couldn't control it. If it wanted to hold on to me, it had all the power to do it. We fear the Lord. and not, not, not because we're expecting Him to hurt us. Please understand what I'm saying. Is that even though He is holy and He's just and He's right, He deserves our respect. He deserves our reverence. He deserves our awe of Him. We live our lives in this way by faith in Him, that we fully trust in, cling to, and rely on Him. It's interesting when you, as I've said before, during offering, you remember, remember when the, the, the little old lady gave two pennies in the offering and all the rich were there? And this day, Jesus happened to be sitting, watching what people were giving in the offering. I love this story. Because I try to put myself in that, in that story and I would think, how would I act in front of Jesus right here? How would I act? How would I give if he was watching, physically watching what I was putting in the offering that day? Would I, would I do something different? Would I try to be better? Would I give that bigger bill out of my wallet that day simply because Jesus was watching? Would I fake and try to, try to pretend to him that this was my normal way of giving? Or, or would I just do what I always do? And these rich were putting on a show for Jesus. I mean, they were putting in lots of them. They were writing big checks, man. And Jesus is watching them put it all in. And then the woman walks by and she puts in two cents. And Jesus grabs his disciples and says, did you see that? She put in everything she had. Yeah, that's real impressive, Jesus. What's two pennies going to get? He said, no, they all gave out of their abundance. It was no sacrifice for any of those guys to give. It wasn't anything for them to write a check. That's a tax write-off. What she gave was everything that she had. And by doing so, she gave more than all of them. Isn't that a marvelous thought? And, you know, and with that Christ in, in me awareness, that will cause you to make the best decisions. 
to do the right thing, to live generously, to love always. I was driving down 75, as I do many times during the week, many times, going down to Christ for the Nations to teach. And a, a police officer came right up the ramp next to me. And as soon as I saw him, I became painfully aware of my driving habits. <laughs> Put both hands on the steering wheel. Look right at the speedometer and sneak that foot off the gas pedal over to the brake. Because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to do this because then they'll know. They'll catch you, right? So you want to ease that brake down. Let them know, 10 and 2, sir. I'm a model citizen, model driver, right? And, and he didn't do anything except just show up in my line of sight, right? And here a little bit, he exited off the highway. And I went back to driving like I normally do, kind of zoned out, not paying any attention. But as long as that man was present, I was aware of what I was doing. Listen to me. He's in you. A very present presence. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that you will live your life in a way that pleases him. Walking in his ways. All right, we got to continue. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Verse 2 When you labor, or, I'm sorry, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. You know what that verse says? Get a job, man. No, that's not really what it is. I mean, it might be. Some of you, that might be how you're seeing it right now. Man, I need to get a job. When you eat the labor of your hands, not the government's hands. Amen. Okay. When you eat the labor of your hands. Now look, at the, there are three benefits we see right here in this verse. I'm going to throw them at you in case you want to take notes. When you eat the labor of your hands, what this means is that you'll benefit from the productivity of your labor. This has to do with your fortune. Your fortune. The benefit of fortune. When you eat the labor of your... And then next thing, you shall be happy. That has to do with your feelings. You shall be happy and it shall be well with you. That's about your future. That's about your future, that you are going into a future. All of us are into a future. But with God, he says, I give you a future and a hope. Hallelujah. Everybody's going to the future. But those who are with him and those who he is with are going into a hopeful future. Amen. He then goes on to say, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. That's interesting. My kids, Maddie, Laurel, Dylan, you're a bunch of olive plants. Didn't that bless you today? Didn't that encourage you? The Bible calls you olive plants in my house, and my wife is a fruitful vine. Yeah, well, she had three fruits. She fruited three of them. She's a fruitful vine. But I love this. That if you've ever been to the Napa Valley, you know, the wine country there in California, they have these, um, they, put the, they put the vine on a post, and then the vine takes off from there once it's attached to it, and, it, and it just begins to, at first it clings to that vine, then it begins to climb, right? And as it climbs, all of a sudden these clusters begin to form of grapes. And then once those grapes are, are ripened, then they harvest those grapes and then they squeeze out the juice from those grapes and then they put them in bottles and, uh, and then they let the grape juice ferment into wine. And then the scripture says, wine makes a sad man happy. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine. My mother was, was raised uh, Church of Christ. If you don't know anything about the Church of Christ church, they don't have any instruments. In their, they don't believe in having instruments in their church. Now, I'm out right there. I, I, nope, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I love the guitar way too much to go to church where there is no guitar played. I'm sorry. I'm, I can't go there. That's one of the things. I won't go through all their... All their stuff. But my mother was raised in that uh, in, in, in Church Christ Church. Uh, it, well, I will say, unless you are 
there's a church that we were a part of in southern Oklahoma called Victory Chapel. And I don't how many of you remember Chris Malden, who was here with us when he went to Christ for the Nations, and, and he was born and raised there in Thackerville. Now he's the, the it was the pastor of the church. When he was 18 years old, I came and did a youth revival there at their church, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit that that, that night and uh, spoke in other tongues, and his whole life changed. Well, about a year ago, the, the pastor of the church, Christ Church there in Thackerville, got a hold of Chris and said, we need to merge our churches. Now, have you ever heard of a spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking church that plays instruments in church, merging with the Church of Christ Church? I'd never heard of that happen. And they did. They did. And I walked into that church last weekend. I was out there for a funeral. I walked in there, and there's instruments in this Church of Christ Church. I thought, what in the world is going on here? And Chris is pastoring the church, and the, and the, the pastor who was the, who was the pastor of the Church of Christ Church is now his assistant pastor. And they're just blowing and going. The people are accepting it changing but my mother was raised in that where they didn't believe in miracles they didn't believe in all these kinds of things uh today that those holy rollers talk about but my dad was raised that way and they went to christ for the nations in 1976 and my mother started reading this book she started you know really embracing the things of god but she was kind of slow about it and and very quiet about just her involvement in church and all those kinds of things. And, you know, like my dad, if you know my dad, he's real quiet and, and very, no. I mean, it was just like polar opposites, you know. And, but she got this book while, while they were attending Christ for the Nation on this faith healer by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. And so she started reading about all these miracles that were done by this man's ministry, extraordinary things. Well, one night they were out, we, actually, we were, when I was a kid, we were all together in this van uh, with this other couple that they were friends with at Christ for the Nations. We'd gone to dinner. We were going down the road, and they see a car pulled over on the side of the road, and there next to that car is a man laying on his back and his wife on her knees over him, frantic. So this man named Jim pulls, pulls the van over, and, and all of us kids, we're looking through the back window of the van. It's one of those vans, you know, that had like couches and all that kind of stuff in it. I mean, a van blinds on the back window and so we lift the little blinds up and we're watching and as dad and this guy named Jim and my mom they go out and, and they're, they're looking at this man and the woman says he was changing the tire they had a blowout and he just fell over and my mother says this man is looking really bad and, and Jim had a little bit of experience in CPR so he gets over on the man and he starts doing CPR on him and about this time, other cars are pulling over on the road and uh, on the side of the road, and a little crowd's beginning together. And so he's working, and 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 the situation's getting worse and worse. And then my mother's here. My mother hears the man say, "I'm losing him." And that's when my mother, something broke open in her. The fruit from the vine began to erupt, began to blossom as she moved Jim out of the way. And she got down and put her knees right in this man's chest. And she said, in the name of Jesus, I command death to leave you. I command you to live in Jesus' name. Right. And the next thing they know, this man goes, <gasps> and so then mom got off of him. And then Jim, Jim got down there and started checking his vitals and stuff and said, I, I, I think he's going to make it. And my dad's standing there scratching his head. And he says, Jim, I don't think the guy has a choice. <laughs> Men, you are responsible for your house. Men, you are responsible for your house. And as you walk with God, you'll watch your family's lives be affected by your walk with God. They will follow in your footsteps. And this says that your wife will be a fruitful vine and your children will be olive plants. Olive plants are not produced overnight. They take 15 years actually to produce for an olive plant. But they have a lifespan of something like 2,000 years. Matter of fact, if you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive press where Jesus went and, and prayed there, not my will but yours be done, you can still see fruit producing olive plants there to this day that are 2,000 years old. And you are responsible, dads and mothers, to train up your children in the way that they should go. But here's the promise. They're going to still be producing in old age. When they're old, 
they will not depart from it. All right, what you deposit them in, in them now. Now, there might be some years where it looks like they forgot everything you told them. But there is a promise that that thing that you put in them, that you instilled them, is coming back. And they will be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. Amen? All right, so don't lose heart. Claim that all my children, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Men, it's on you to take charge of your house. You have no idea just how effective you are. And you can, and you can forget it sometimes. You can, you can lose sight of it sometimes just in the everyday kind of living. And, uh, but it's important that your children are watching you. And your wife is watching you. I'm talking to myself big time right now. Thirty percent. If if a woman, if just the mother, let me say, in a husband, in, in a house where a man and woman are together, all right, and a husband and wife, and they have children, in that home, statistics say if only the mother is a churchgoer, there's a thirty percent chance that the children, when they become adults, will be churchgoers. All right. So there's there's some effect there, but if only the father goes and the mother stays home. If he regularly attends church, when the children become adults, there's a 70% chance they'll be churchgoers. Wow. But if mom and dad go together, 90% chance their children will grow up and stay in church. Amen. So stay in church. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm almost through. But the Cowboys don't play till like 7 tonight, right? Let's look at verse 5. Let's skip down to verse 5 for a moment. Last thought here. Look at this. The blessing of fear. The, the, the blessing of fearing. The Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. I love that. The Lord bless you out of Zion. Zion to you and I today is what's happening right here. It's the church. Zion is the church. The, the Bible describes as, as Zion as a mountain. It describes Zion as a city. It describes Zion as a, a place of worship, the temple. And today, for you and I, that means the church. Let's jump over to Hebrews chapter 12. Jeff, if you'd bring that up. Verse 22, I believe, and 23. Is it 22 or 32? 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. All right. So I was thinking about that, that the blessing out of Zion, out of Zion, out of the church today. So I was looking through some different scriptures that talk about Zion. All right. And I want to encourage you to do that. Anytime, if you want to do a, a word study sometime throughout scriptures, if you like, you know, looking at a word specifically, I know uh, Mary Beth, you probably like to do that. And look up Zion and just all the scripture references uh, that are attached to it. So many good things. But I just want to give you a couple of them today to leave you with. The blessing that comes from being in church, all right, that, that comes out of church. Psalm chapter 20, verse 2. It says, may he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. So we have the blessing of help and the blessing of strength. I don't know about you, but the church has greatly strengthened my life. Greatly strengthened. There's something that happens when I come together with God's people, and I remember, oh, God, I'm not the only one that's got problems, one. And there are people who love me and who are for me and, and who will agree with me in prayer about anything and everything. And it's also an opportunity for me to help someone else. We find great strength in gathering together. And there is help here. How many of you have been helped by the church? All right. Well, I think you probably have. Otherwise, you wouldn't keep coming back. All right. If you couldn't really find any help or any strength, what's the point of going? I would say don't go if you don't find any help. All right. Psalm chapter 80, or 50, I'm sorry, verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. That's a powerful verse of Scripture. Out of Zion, the, you know that the church is, is the perfection of beauty? Because in one sense, in the spirit, you already are perfect. You're already complete. Scripture says you are complete in him. So this is what happens out of Zion. Here comes the blessing of identity. Identity. 
the blessing of identity, that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And if you are in Christ, my family, then sin is not the issue. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ. Glory to God. Jesus dealt with the sin issue. We have to have a righteous consciousness way over a sin consciousness. Never have a sin consciousness. The perfection of beauty. And the church is perfect. I know, I, know what, I know what you're thinking. Did that guy just say the church is perfect? Yeah, I know. I know. I pastor a church. Believe me, I know that the church, the imperfections in the church. But we have to think about this from God's view. All right? Not from our, not from our view. The church, well, the, church, the Lord's coming back for a, a, a perfect a, a bride that's without spot or without wrinkle. Hey, that's already a reality, my family. That's already a reality. Because we're already like him. All right? He's already perfected this church. All right? We just got to convince ourselves of it, that it's already been done. Okay? And watch, look what happens. So we get that. The, when we see it ourselves as the Bible says we are. We really understand who we are. And then it says God will shine forth. Not only do we find identity in the church, we also find purpose. What's the purpose? To shine our God all over the earth. To proclaim his name wherever we go. Amen. Now let's look at Psalm chapter 87. I'm almost through. And of Zion, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself shall establish her. Just by a show of your hands, how many of you uh, made a decision for Christ in church? That's where you got saved? Can I see a real high? Raise your hand real. Let me see. All right, that's the majority of the people in the room. That's how the majority of people get saved, is in church. Did you know that? The majority of people get saved in church. That's how it's supposed to be. I love this. It says, this one and that one were born in her. All of you had your hands raised. You were born in her. You're born in the church. Born again in the church. So in the church, the blessing of salvation is here. The blessing of a new beginning, I should say. A new life. And then it says, and the Most High Himself shall establish her. So not only is there the blessing of salvation, but there's the blessing of stability. I thank God for the church because it's what kept me stable in my life. Now, good raising and getting my butt beat by my dad is also part of it. But as I grew up and got out from under my parents' care and became my own man, I, it was the church that kept me in. It was a church. You know, you really can't stray very far if you stay in church. It's really difficult to do. Because you come back to church that Sunday and you're thinking, oh, man, God is so good to me. And you're praising his name and you're thinking about what you did, what you should have done, what you didn't do. And you remember how good God is, and then you leave there encouraged, you know, and then Monday comes, then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and then Thursday, and then things are getting slower. And, and then Sunday, and then you're back again. And it's just, for a while, it was like this with me. But over time, stability. Just stay in church. Stay in. You want your life to get better? You want things to get better for you? Stay in here. Just stay. I promise you. I'm a living product of what the church has done for my life. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying it has brought much stability to my life. I'm grateful to God for it. Let's finish with this one. And lastly, Psalm 97, verse 8. Zion hears and is glad. Hears and is glad. You know, it's important that the message that comes from the church, it's important that the people are glad after they hear that message. I'm really, really tired of this, this kind of church service that produces people that, are, that feel bad, that leave feeling sad, that leave feeling condemned, that leave feeling like they can't ever measure up. I've been in too many of those church services, and I don't plan on attending another one of them. All right? I can remember hearing things when I was growing up and thinking, now I look at it and go, how awful was that? Boy, we really had church today. Boy, the pastor, man, he told us what for. He had everybody down there crying and feeling bad. That's, what, that's church, huh? That's, that, that's good? That's a good thing? Well, okay. 
This says they hear and are glad. And then when I read Romans chapter 10, it says, How shall they hear without a preacher, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. There's nothing in that that ought to make it. Uh, we don't preach feel-good messages here. Well, I do. That's what the gospel does. It makes me feel good. Doesn't it, do, does it not do you good to know that Jesus Christ took away your sins? How does that make you feel? That's supposed to make you feel bad? And to, to the sick, it is, you are healed. Is that, is that supposed to, does that make you feel bad to know that he healed all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him? Does it make you feel bad that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich? Is that, does that make anybody feel bad in here today? That God is good and he only does good? What should our messages be about then? What should they invoke in people? You want to preach your, you want to preach your feel bad messages? You want to go on and on about how sorry and sinful people are? Go ahead. You're going to keep them bound in that religion. You're going to keep them bound in that sin. Nobody's going to get free except by the grace of Almighty God and by His goodness, a revelation of His goodness. Happy people live happy lives. Amen. I got enough things in this world to make me feel bad and sad than to come to church and have it again. Huh? There ought to be a difference in church. That's good. I know. It is good, Eric. You did real good there. I hope that helped them. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgment. I think that's funny. They're glad and they rejoice. Why? Because of his judgments. Most of the time we hear about judgments and we think, ah, that's mostly a negative thing, isn't it? God is going to judge the world. We think of judgment. I said, don't judge me. It's always a negative connotation. Except here it says they're glad and they rejoice at God's judgments. Well, we got to know what this is talking about. For you, oh, this is glorious. For you, we're going to, can we go to one last verse of Scripture? Okay, thank you. The rest of, hopefully everybody else feels that you were speaking for them. <laughs> yes! Somebody's like, shut up, man, I'm hungry. Huh? All right, John chapter 12. There's always those people, right? They go, Pastor, you preach all day long. You're going to shut, no, no, don't encourage that man. I mean, I love him, but we got lives to live. John 12, look at verse 31. And you know they don't mean it. <laughs> Preach all day long? Really? Let's see. Let's see. I can do it. Verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. This is Jesus speaking. And if I, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all, all what? Now, if you're looking at a Bible, an actual Bible, maybe a digital Bible that might have this, but an actual Bible, you'll find that that word peoples or men is italicized. All right? Which means that the translators put that in there. It wasn't in the original text. Okay? Let's just take that out for just a moment. And if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. Now, we have to know what that all is. Because if we say all people are all men, there's no reason for any of us to ever evangelize one person. There's no reason for any of us to tell anybody about Jesus because if he got lifted up from the earth, he said all men are going to... Did that happen? Did everybody get all of a sudden... Draw, hey, Jesus down on the cross and everybody that's born is like, I'm going to the cross. I'm feeling this drawing. <laughs> I will draw all people to myself. Right? It's, it's not an automatic thing. It's not what, that's not what Jesus is saying. Because the very next verse helps us understand something. Verse 33. This, he said, signifying by what death he would die. What, what kind of death would he die? He would die a death that was deemed a judgment death. All right? And that would be upon a cross. Because the scripture says uh, in Galatians, whoever hangs on a tree, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That way they saw him hanging on a tree and they saw that that was a judgment upon Jesus. That was a judgment upon him uh, for something that apparently he had done wrong. That's what they're thinking. Isaiah says, we, and, and we esteemed him smitten by God and afflicted, that God had punished him for his wrongdoing. 
God did punish him, but he didn't do anything wrong. God punished him because you did something wrong. And he chose to blame Jesus for it. Let's read this in context. Let's get back up to the last verse, or the, or 31. Now is the judgment of, of this world. So the subject is judgment. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now let's read it in context, verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all judgment to myself. Now that did happen. That did happen. God judged Jesus on your behalf. He judged him sin. He judged him cursed. He judged him so that he would judge you righteous. Now, don't we rejoice at that judgment? Yeah, because, because he was judged, you will never be judged. Now, see, you already settled your case out of court. Before judgment day, the day of the judge got here, you already settled your case out of court. By pleading the blood. Plead the blood. I'm free from judgment. You accept that Jesus was judged for your sin so that you'll never be judged for your sins. Oh, that's good news. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, I want to thank you for this time to, with your people. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness that is real. Your goodness is real. It's not something that we have to, it's not some idea that we're conjuring up about you, God. You're good, and you do good. And in that we rejoice, and in that we give you thanks today. And in that goodness, and because of the awareness that we have, Lord, it causes a trembling in us. It causes, Lord, a reverence that you, out of your goodness, out of your mercy, saved us. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but through your mercy. And that good news that fell upon all of our ears that changed our lives was that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life that's the real good news there is no flip side to it there is no waiting on the other shoe to drop okay well what's the catch there is no catch simply believe it Believe the good news. Believe that God is that good and he loves you that much. That he took upon himself all of your sin and shame and condemnation and guilt. And he took it away. And if you'll believe him today and receive him, you can have his life. Be made right with him through Jesus Christ. And not only that, but have an eternal, eternal life with God. Because this life is here on this earth and this life is gone. It's just a temporary thing. But your life with Him is forever. And death is just a threshold into what life really is. So today, if you do not know the Lord, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, believe on Him now. Believe on Him. Don't walk around one more day unsure in this earth. You can be sure you can be sure of heaven. You can have that assurance every day of your life through that man, Jesus Christ, the only one that can make it sure for you. He said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Oh, there's plenty of religions out there, lots of religions. Well, how do you know which one's right? Well, because you can... You can find a stark difference between Christianity and all other religions in this way. All other religions, they all have different names, but they have the same function. That is that you are supposed to do something in order to get something. You're supposed to do right and be charitable and all those kinds of things so that in the end, God will see that your good outweighs any of your bad. That's just the story of religion. And the problem is that still falls short of what God requires. 
it still falls short. It doesn't meet his requirements. Jesus met his requirements. No man could do it. There are all these ways, these avenues. But then those are roads that men are building through self-effort. But then what, what makes Christianity is completely different. It isn't, it isn't about a road that we build to God. We can't do that. It's resting on the fact that God built a road to us. And we are on that road. And that is the road that takes us not to the judgment, but to the Father. All roads, all those other roads will lead to God. They will. To the judgment seat of God. All those through men efforts, all those man-made religions, they'll all take them right to the judgment seat of God. And that will not be a good thing. It will not end well. But the road that leads to eternal life, the road that leads to the Father, is one that, was, that is without human effort. It is simply a heart that believes that God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world to himself. And he loves us enough that he did not want to spend eternity without us. So he gave us his son as a gift. And whoever would receive that gift would become like Jesus, would become children of God. Hallelujah. Today, if you're here and you need healing in your body in any way, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you right now at this moment. Whatever, if it's pain, if it's allergies, something that headaches, whatever it might be of any kind, just raise your hand. Father, I thank you right now for helping these. Thank you for healing these. Lord, we know that your work is already accomplished of healing. That, that you went about doing good and healing all. And now, Lord, we just didn't, when you said it is finished, it was finished. You took stripes upon your back for our healing. So I just declare right now that they are healed because Jesus has healed them. His body was broken so that their bodies would be made whole. I just declare that no sickness, no disease, no pain shall have any more effect in their life in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord that you intentionally took that beating upon yourself so that we could be assured that by your stripes we are healed. So we receive that now in the name of Jesus, that finished, accomplished work, fully healed, totally whole in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.